as well. Uh, I, I'm eager to be back because we are, are really excited for, for this time of year. In, in just over a week, we will hit our two-year anniversary of being a, a church, being a campus here. And, and uh, it's, it's really wonderful. We're, we're excited. We're, we're celebrating that uh, because a lot has happened over these two years. We're, we're getting to a place where, where we're reaching some stability. We're uh, in some patterns. Uh, we're, we're discovering what, what this area is like, what they need. Uh, we're, we're becoming uh, more and more financially stable. Yes, we're still supported by the other two campuses but but due to your generosity where we're uh, we're becoming more of a self-sufficient church which is a wonderful benchmark and and it shows that that the, there's longevity to this campus that's possible and so uh, all kinds of things to be really excited about and yet when we look out into this area th this place where God has put us uh, in, in your lives as well we are still surrounded by people who need Jesus and so as we're looking at this year, this upcoming year, it comes with this question of what, what, what does it look like next year? This time next year, after we have spent a year of doing that, of building Christ-centered communities of people fully devoted to loving God and loving others, a, a year of, of all of us, myself, the staff here, the volunteers, every person who comes and, and has been shaped by Jesus, all of us asking, how might God use me to bring people who are far off from him near to him? How might God use me where he has placed me to make this good news go out to all people. And it's something that we're looking forward to as we are surrounded by people who need Jesus. And, and we have this focus, this desire to have people come to Jesus because of, of our commitment to the Bible. We, we will never change from these things. We want people to come and follow Jesus, and, and we will always be committed to, to the Bible. If, if you are new to Calvary, well, first off, welcome. Second off, uh, we are people who are shaped by what God has said in his word. We, uh, we want to spend our time seeing what is it that God said in the past, and what does God continue to say and speak to us today through his word? And we tend to do that here at Calvary by going through a book of the Bible together. So before Advent, before Christmas, we, were, we got about halfway through the book of Luke. And I want to remind us, whether we were part of that series or not, we could all probably use a refresher after uh, a month and a half of not being in the book of, of what is going on in the book of Luke. Well, it's, it's this work that was done by Luke to, to show all that he has learned, all that he has discovered about Jesus. And he writes to this man, Theophilus, and, and uh, writes to all of us these many years later to, to do a few things. He writes so that we can know this Jesus. Uh, at the very beginning of the book of Luke, he, he's, he's saying that, that he does all of this so that we can have certainty in the things that we have been taught about Jesus. He writes so that we can know. He, he writes so that we can grow, that we can follow Jesus' example. In verse, uh, chapter two, verse 52, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor of God and man. 
So this, uh, this book, this book of Luke is done so that we too can grow in a really similar way. But it's also written so that we could tell others about Jesus. This comes from the Christmas story. These angels appear to the shepherd and, and they say the significance of what Jesus being born is. And, and this is Luke 2, 10. And it says, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And, and it's from those words that we take our title for this series, but it, it's from those words as well that we see what is the significance of Jesus coming that his birth, his life, his death on our behalf, well, that is good news of great joy. This is the most incredible thing that we can hear, and, and with good news, it's, it's something that's uncontainable. It's like many kids, or, or maybe even you as an adult, on Christmas, we are eager to rush and tell people of the incredible things that we have received. Good news is uncontainable, let alone sorry for the poor grammar, but the goodest of good news, that Jesus has come, that salvation is possible, that's uncontainable. And it's not just reserved for some few, some of the elites in society. It's not, you have to be good enough to receive this good, no, 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 no. It's for all people. We want all people to know this good news because it's meant for all people. And what's uh, beautiful about our reintroduction back into the book of Luke is that our chapter today, Luke 15, is entirely focused on that truth. Good news that's for all people. And so please turn with me to, to Luke chapter 15 if, if you have a Bible or a phone or something else to read. If you don't have a Bible, we, we have some on the back table for you to, to use, even keep if you would like. Uh, it, it's important that we spend our time in God's word together. And, and there's a few reasons for that. One, it's, it's worshipful when we continue to read together. Uh, two, I, I want to be held accountable to only be saying the things that this says. But, but three, it's the reminder that God speaks through his word, not just to some guy on a stage, but to every single person who opens and reads from it. So we want to be reading from God's word together. So we are in Luke chapter 15. Now, having just said that we're in it and it's important to be reading together, I'm trying to cover an entire chapter today. So please forgive me for not rereading what Shelley has masterfully read for us already. But it starts with this complaint in, in uh, verse 2 about Jesus. And there's been, there's been a variety of complaints that people have had about Jesus at this time. Now, this one is about the people who are coming to him. And we read about them in, in verse 1. It says that the tax collectors and sinners are, are drawing near to receive him. That, that these people who are considered the lowest of the low in society, despicable, doing uh, just horrible things in life, that they were the ones who were coming to Jesus. But they're also the ones who are most desperate for good news. And then we, we see the, this complaint come in verse two that the Pharisees and the scribes, the, the, the religious leaders at the time, they, they saw these people coming to Jesus and, and they said, uh, how, how can he be around them? He receives sinners, he eats with them. That, that uh, a man of, of his stature, who he's supposed to be, he should never be around people like this. 
He, he shouldn't not be anywhere near, but to eat with them, it shows like he's, he's, uh, he, he's endorsing their lifestyle. Uh, this holy man, this religious person, he should, he should never be anywhere near these people to let their sinner cooties get on him. And, and we can understand a little bit as to why that might be said. I mean, there's commands in the Old Testament to, to not associate with sinful people in, in the fear of, of joining them in, in their sinful acts. I mean, we, we all know the power that a bad influence can have on people. And there's certainly some places where if you saw me there, you would have some really serious questions for me. What was a pastor doing in a place like this? But, but it's gone beyond just not joining in or not being tempted to sin to those who do it. Well, they are seen as lesser, second-class citizens, not even worth being considered. And those are the people that Jesus is spending time with. And so these religious leaders complain, why is he doing that? But what we see, what we've been seeing throughout the book of Luke is, is what we've been talking about, this good news that's for all people. Well, the implication of the good news for all people is that we go to all people to bring this good news. The implication of the good news for all people. We said that Jesus has come and that's good news. Well, what that means, what we do with that, is we go to all people to bring this news. Jesus has been demonstrating this in his teaching and his, and his actions. Right, right before this, in Luke 14, Jesus tells this parable, this story that, that's not real, but he makes it up to make a point. And he talks about this, this banquet, this beautiful banquet where, where the, the elites in society were invited to come and they all say no. So instead, they go out to the street and they pull anyone to come and join, the, the people who would never be at a banquet like this, people who are, are smelly and, and people wouldn't, you wouldn't approach them, and yet they are the ones who are brought into this banquet. What Jesus does in his teaching, he demonstrates in his actions here, the sinners and the tax collectors, those who no one would want to associate with, well, Jesus is bringing good news for all people, and so he goes to all people to bring this good news. And it's in that context of, of Jesus being with sinners and tax collectors, this complaint from others that he is with them, it's in that context that Jesus tells three more parables here. Three more parables directly flowing out of that. One about a lost sheep, one about a lost coin, and one about a lost son. So we'll, we'll uh, look at those. Uh, again, let me, let me just make some comments on those first two parables that were read for us. The, the parable of the lost sheep. This shepherd has one sheep that wanders off and he leaves that other 99 to go in pursuit of this one. Now that may seem fairly nonsensical, even a little bit ridiculous to do that. He, he's at 99 sheep right there. Why would he leave behind all of them to go after this one? He, I mean, he has a 99% success rate of bringing them all back. That, that sure seems good enough. And, and I, I think we might think that way because we're removed from the point of the story, but we're also removed a little bit from the culture. I mean, yes, these sheep are his livelihood. This is how he continues to live. This is how he makes a life for himself. And, and uh, to, to lose one would have an impact on him, but we're, we're used to modern-day margins of errors. You, you go to a department store, and, and there's an acceptable margin of error that they have. They anticipate that they will lose some money due to theft or from product being destroyed. 
But, but there's, there's a difference here that this isn't, uh, the language of good enough would not be the case for the shepherd who cares for these sheep, who knows them. He's spending all of his time with these sheep. He's removed from his family, removed from most of society, day in, day out with these animals. This isn't that one of his sheep is gone, but he knows the one that's missing. This isn't that, that one nameless animal is missing. It's, I don't know what a fake name for a sheep might be, but this is Bob that's missing. The, the, the idea of good enough is not in the language of someone who cares for the individual. It's like this, um, Wolfgangs, there's a bunch of you guys. Uh, so it, it, imagine that you're sitting down for dinner and you realize Andrew's not there. Uh, you don't say, well, most of us are here for dinner, so that seems good enough. No, dinner doesn't happen until you find Andrew. And the same thing here for this shepherd who would care for the individual to have them missing, nothing exists until they bring them back. And so he leaves these other sheep. He goes in pursuit of this one. And when he finds him, we see this tremendous picture of care. Puts the sheep on his own shoulders. You have walked enough. You have gone astray. I will bring you back. And when he returns, he's so excited that he has found his missing sheep that he throws this party. Now, that may seem fairly nonsensical and a little bit ridiculous. Throwing a party, this huge feast, because you just found one sheep? But this gets to the point of what Jesus is talking about with it. Uh, look again at Luke 7, uh, 15, 7. It says this, it says, just so I tell you, Jesus speaking to those religious leaders who grumbled that he was spending time with tax collectors and sinners, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So Jesus tells this, this parable, this, this story to demonstrate what it is that he's doing, that there are people who are lost who have wandered away from God, who, who are, are living a way that is so disastrous and dangerous for them. And he has come like a shepherd going after his missing sheep with all the care and love, searching high and low, bringing them, pursuing them, drawing near to them who have wandered off. Why is Jesus spending time with sinners and tax collectors? Well, he, he's, he's saying that this is the, the point here. He, he's telling this parable to show that, that it is the delight of heaven. It's God's joy to see a person, even one like a sinner or a tax collector, especially one who is desperately in need of good news, to see that person, someone who was lost, someone who was far from God, and see them brought near. The point of this, Jesus is answering those who are questioning him, why are you spending time with these people? And he says in this parable, essentially, well, the lost of Israel are finding salvation. Heaven is rejoicing over this. Won't you enter this joy? You religious leaders who, who are looking to be holy, looking to have Israel be saved, isn't this what you ought to be celebrating? That these people that you would call sinners, they're coming to see and receive salvation. They're drawing near to God. This is the time for celebration, not grumbling. Won't you enter this joy? He tells a similar parable. The parable of the lost coin. 
And he talks about this woman who has these 10 silver coins. Each of them represents about a day's wage at the time. But she loses one of them. And she does whatever she can to find her missing coin. This isn't like a kid who says, oh, I've lost this thing. Well, did you look for it? Yes, I looked. Uh, Well, where did you look? I looked everywhere. It's just, it's missing. It's just gone now. And so you go and look and you find it in like the second place that you look. Uh, It turns out everywhere to them just meant the one place they saw it last. And it wasn't there, so it must just be gone. That's not what this woman does. I mean, you read the description of her. It's so short, and yet you can, you can almost see the desperation. She's doing whatever she can to find it. She's uh, bringing, uh, lighting the lamp. She's sweeping out to the corners. Like, this idea of her searching diligently, getting down on hands and knees, nothing is left unturned, searching everywhere until she finds this coin. And when she does find it, she does the same thing as the shepherd. She throws a party for her friends and neighbor. Now, it it might seem a little bit weird to us to throw a party after finding something. I I lost an AirPod once, and and I was really bummed about it. I didn't know how I was going to find this thing. And when I did, I responded with texting Emily, found it, just those two words, and that that was it. But this woman throws this party on finding it. Again, it gets to the point. They're rejoicing. There's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So so what is is Jesus doing? Why is he spending time with tax collectors and sinners? Well, because it's the delight of heaven. It's God's joy to see someone, a person who was far from him being brought near. Someone who was lost being found. The the point that that Jesus is saying in this parable, why is he spending time with them? Well, look, the lengths of the search have paid off. Something valuable has been found. Someone has been restored here. Even the angels are cheering. Won't you enter this joy? Why are you grumbling? Won't you enter this joy? And then we get to the third and perhaps the most famous of the three parables, that of the lost, lost in quotation marks, the lost son, that we know a little bit better by the name, the parable of the prodigal son. This one I I will have us read, and and I'll be reading it, and I'll take some pauses here and there to to make some comments uh, just to help with our reading. But please be reading with me, Luke 15, starting in verse 11. And then he, this is Jesus, said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. This is an appalling demand. Give me my share of the property. My, my inheritance, that what's coming to me after you die, well, I want it now. And uh, as, as the younger son, he would have been worth about, uh, uh, about a third of, of his father's value. This is uh, property values, everything he owns, any livestock, all, all that he had, a third of that would have gone to this younger son. And so to accommodate this, I was going to say request, but it, it's a demand. To accommodate this demand, the, the father would have had to sell off property 
would have had a sell-off thing that he, that he owned to, just to give the, the son what, he, what he's asking. And that, that's going to damage things for the family. It's going to limit their ability to make income in the future. It's going to make them in a lower place in the society, let alone the shame of this demand. Like to say, I want what's coming after you die, but I want it now. That's such an appalling thing to demand of his father. And yet the, the father does it. Verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, this new wealth that he just secured, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property on reckless living. So what would have taken the, the father years, even maybe even generations to amass, the son blows through it in no time at all. It says that he spends all of this on reckless living, and this is where we get the title of the parable, prodigal, uh, meaning that to be uh, uh, wastefully extravagant or uh, recklessly spending of things. This son just blows through all of this money as fast as he can. Uh, verse 30 later on tells us that, that uh, one of the things that he's spending this money on is prostitutes, but we don't know what else he's spending it on, just using it in the worst possible way. The shame that he brought on his family, well, now he's sullying their name even more. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So after he's lost everything, he he's, has no money left whatsoever, things take a turn even for the worse. A famine hits the land. I mean, already he's penniless, and now resources are scarce. People are less willing to help others in a famine. They need to make sure they have enough for them and their families, let alone the price of, of items. Already he has zero dollars to buy anything with, and, and things just got even more expensive. And so desperate, he hires himself out to someone from this area. We know he's in a faraway land, and, and this would have been significant to the Jewish re religious leaders that, that he's speaking to. For him to hire himself out to a foreigner, to a Gentile, well, that's a horrendous thing for him to be doing, to, to put himself under someone else like that, someone uh, fr from uh, this Gentile like that, that's, that's awful, let alone what it is that he does for this foreigner. He works with pigs. Pigs are called unclean in the Old Testament, that you're not supposed to be around them, and now he's working with them. This would have, would have been appalling to the religious leaders that, that he would be doing this. There was writing at the time, this is a direct quote from someone at the time of, around the time of Jesus says, cursed is the man who raises pigs. Cursed. What we see in this is, is just how far this son has fallen. He's cut himself off from his family. He blew through all of this money. He's had to hire himself out to a Gentile, and he's working with pigs. But even, even that's not enough. He's still not satisfied. He's still longing. He's looking at what the pigs are eating, and he wishes he was on their level as well. If I could just eat what they were eating. 
He has fallen as far as you can. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I like that line. When he came to himself, when he realized just how far he had gone, and he knew that he had burnt this bridge. He, he had disqualified himself as a son. He, he considered his father to not be his father, so he, he can't go back and expect things to be as they were. But if he could just be taken on as a, as a hired servant, I mean, anything would be better than what he's doing. And so he rehearses the speech that he's going to give, and, and you almost get this idea that this journey back, he's, he's rehearsing this this entire time of, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your servants. And he travels on, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I've sinned against heaven and before you. He travels on, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm not worthy. He's practicing this whole way. And then he arrives home. This is verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. What a, what a terrific picture that we have of this father's love for his son. Before he hears anything from him, any sort of apology, any sort of repentance, before the son has anything to see, seeing him a far ways off, he runs to him. And this is perhaps the most undignified thing that he could have done. A man in this culture to be running well, that, that's, that's a shameful act. It shows how out of control things are. You should have planned better. You should never have to run. And yet he does that for his son. But even after seeing that, the, the son is gonna get through what he's rehearsed. He's, he's been practicing. that He's gonna say what, I, what he's come to say. Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But verse 22, but couldn't finish it. This well-rehearsed speech, he's supposed to be asking to be a servant, but he's cut off. He can't even get through it. There's no time for him to apologize. There's no time for him to repent. There's no time for him to show just how contrite he is, how sorry he is for how he's acted. He, he can't get through all of it. He can't make his request because he's cut off by the Father. Let's finish out verse 22. But the father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's eat and celebrate for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Look at the images that we have here of, of the father's love for the son. He says, bring the best robe. 
This was normally something that was, was given to honored guests. You, at the time, you, you wanted, hospitality was everything. You wanted to give your guests better than even what you had. You wanted to honor them beyond even what you had. And, and the sun shows up dirty from the travel, possibly still smelling of pigs. And he's not told anything other than we are giving you the best that we have. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. This, this would have been a, a symbol of what family you would have belonged to. And he's coming uh, saying, I am not worthy to be your son. And a ring is put on his finger saying, yes, you are. You are given the sign of this family. You have been restored to it. You are my son. Uh, bring uh, shoes for his feet. These would have been sandals that, that were, uh, were um, uh, worn. And uh, he's come begging to be one of the servants. Just let me be as a hired servant. And he's put shoes on his feet, this, this type of sandals that, that you don't work in. You try doing uh, yard work while wearing sandals. It, it doesn't go too well. These, these shoes signify to him, you will not be doing the work you thought you would. You're back, included in the family. Bring the the fattened calf and kill it. Meat was eaten rarely at this time. It was only for special occasions. It was was expensive and and it took a while to to raise these animals, uh, let alone the fattened calf that was saved just for special events, feasts, times of celebration. And yet look at what the father says. What, what, what is this time if not a celebration? My son was dead, is now alive. He was lost and now is found. What is more worthy of celebrating than that? And we see this tremendous picture of this father's love for the son. We, we call this story the, the parable of the prodigal son because of his reckless behavior. And yet where he was rampant in his spending, he is met with even more rampant love here. Where, where he was wasteful in what he had, now even more is given to him. Where he was prodigal, he is met by an even more prodigal father who lavishly loves him. And what may look like a wasteful use of his love, what if he just leaves again? What if he takes off? It doesn't matter. This is my son. He was lost. Now he's found. And so it's the time to celebrate. We're told at the beginning of the parable that a man had two sons. And now we meet the other son, his older son. Is verse 25. And now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fat calf for him? He, he says, I've never done anything wrong. I've never so much as put a toe out of line. Now, we don't know if that's true or not, but it's not important for us to know. But it does show us his motivation. 
I have done everything right. So where's my reward been? I, I've been perfect. So why haven't you given me anything? You kill the calf for him? You've never even given me so much as a goat for, for my good behavior. We get this picture of a self-righteousness, of thinking that he is justified by him being obedient. And yet the motivation for doing it is just like the younger brother. He wants a payday too. He's waiting for his reward. He's doing all of this so that he can get what's coming to him. And when he feels he hasn't gotten that, all he can do is respond in anger. I mean, look at even how he refers to his brother. He doesn't call him that. This son of yours. And yet where this father loved the younger son, he loves this older son. You could say perhaps even more. This is verse 31. And he, this is the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. All of this goes back to that complaint that we heard of Jesus before. Why is he spending time with tax collectors and sinners? Why, why, is, why is he doing that? But again, it's the joy of heaven. It's God's delight to see those who were far from him be brought near, those who were lost being found. See, the point of this parable is Jesus is saying through it, someone as good as dead has been brought to life. These tax collectors and sinners have been brought to salvation, have been, were lost and now been found. And so it's the time now for celebrations and parties. Why are you grumbling? Won't you enter this joy? I have two takeaways for us following each of these two sons, the older and the younger. I'm gonna start us off with what we can learn from this older son here. Each of these parables have the same storyline, that of loss, restoration, and celebration. The sheep was lost, but it was found, it was brought back, so they celebrated. This coin was lost, but it was found, so they celebrated. The son was lost, but he was found, so they celebrated. Loss, restoration, celebration, each of these three. And that's the storyline of all of our lives who know Jesus that we too were lost, we were far off, that we were like the tax collectors and the sinners. We were away, we were astray like sheep, we were lost like coins, we were far off like this prodigal son. And yet the shepherd pursues. Yet like the woman we, we have been, uh, uh, who finds the coin, we have been found by this God. We have seen the Father run to us. We who were lost have been restored and so we celebrate because of that. And it's our delight, it's our joy to see that storyline be true in the lives of others as well. That there are people in our lives, there are people that we will come across that, that are lost, that are far off, that, that are, are living in a way that, that doesn't reflect the God who has given them life. And we want them to be restored. That, that is something that's the most worthy of celebrating. It's something that I was uh, reminded of during the break. 
um, Emily and I went to uh, her dad's church for their New Year's service, and, and they held baptisms as part of the service. And it, it doesn't help that I'm a sucker for baptisms anyways. It, it, I think it's one of the most beautiful things that we can do because we celebrate the storyline. Someone was lost. They've been restored. And so we celebrate and so I'm there uh, absolutely loving it. I'm seeing sisters get baptized together. Uh, I see uh, whole family units getting baptized. It, it's, it's wonderful. Just eating it up, every, every moment of it is, is beautiful. And then we get to the last baptism. And it's this um, middle school or early high school girl. I, I didn't get her age. But she goes up and she uh, wants to read this letter that she wrote. And she's, she's reading in that really rapid way that happens when someone's nervous or when uh, they're really emotional and just trying to get through it without breaking it down. I may demonstrate it for you in a little bit. Um, but she starts talking about her history with self-harm. And now she didn't, uh, she didn't see herself as valuable as she is. She, she didn't have any sort of hope that she, she was just full of despair and it was a way for her to escape. But she starts talking instead about the, the people in her life, the friends who helped her, helped her see her worth that she has, that every person has. She, she goes in detail uh, about uh, the youth worker that's about to baptize her and, and uh, describes her as the most generous person in the whole world and uh, how much she would spend time with her, always willing to, to talk and, and help, her see, help her see her worth. And, and she's going in all, all this detail of the people in her life that have been a huge help for her, that she's standing there in that moment because of these people. I mean... How do you have a dry eye in that moment? How, how do you not hurt your hands when she comes out of the water because you're clapping so hard? I, I mean, cer certainly we could say it's, it's not so much a tr traditional baptism. We, we, we tend to talk more about what, what has Jesus done to transform us? But, but who would criticize her for not talking enough about God? Who would pull her aside and say, you, you know, you can, you can talk about the people in your life later. This isn't the time. That's not what baptism... Who, who, who would critique in that moment? Why? Because someone was lost and they have been restored. And so it's the time to celebrate. Friends, this ought to be our greatest joy in life to see this lived out in, in, in people's lives. Someone was lost, they have been restored, and so we celebrate. And, and that's what we want to be, I said it in the beginning, we want to be focused on that, that there are people around us that need Jesus, that they too are far off, and God might be working in us to, to bring them near. And that ought to be the greatest joy of our life, not so that more people get in this building, but we join in what heaven is doing in that moment, which is celebration, joyous, raucous celebration. It ought to be our greatest joy to see this storyline lived out in people's lives.
And, and yet, we have this picture of this older son. Someone was lost, they've been restored, their celebration going, and yet he stays out in the field, grumbling. This shouldn't be this way. And yet, look at the picture of, of this father's love for him. We went in detail of, of all the images of the father's love for the younger son, but, but look, at, look at this picture that he has for him. His son is off in the field. He, he could have sent a servant to go, hey, bring my, my older son in. He, he should be part of this. He could have uh, ordered his son to come in. And, and this, this, uh, this obedient son who never does anything wrong, he would have had to obey. But what does the father do? He leaves the celebration. He leaves the son who he finally has gotten back to go to his older son as well. All that I have is yours. I have demonstrated so much love for you. And we see that in his actions and how he treats them. And it's such a picture of God's love for us as well. The same God who has rescued us who's drawn near to us, is the same God who is constantly showering us with love. And so we cannot be in a spot like this older brother who might look at, at other people and, and look down on them for, for how they look or how they act or how they think or how they vote or how they speak or whatever it might be to look down on, on disregard for anyone else because, oh, well, they should be more like us. Or look how far off they are. Man, how great is it that I'm not in their place? That cannot be our language. Those words cannot be in our vocabulary. Instead, it ought to be, uh, what we ought to be doing is joining in with what Jesus is doing. We who have been shaped by him, we who once were the younger brother, we who once were far off and having been rescued by this Jesus, we ought to be committed to what he was committed to. And he spends time with the tax collectors and the sinners. We ought to be willing to spend the time with the people that Jesus spent time with. We said in the beginning, the beauty of this is good news that's for all people, but the implication of that is that we go to all people to bring this good news because that's what Jesus did when we needed to receive it the first time. How can we join in what Jesus is doing? How can we be part of this? Rather than being people content to stand in a field to grumble about what's going on, we're instead invited to be part of this. Won't you enter this joy? For the younger brother, why is Jesus spending time with sinners and tax collectors? It's because that's who Jesus is here for, for the lost. Jesus has come to, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to give sight to the blind, to, to give comfort to those who feel no comfort, to bring satisfaction to those who are longing, to bring hope for those who only see darkness, direction to those who feel aimless, rescue for those who are adrift, peace to those who are restless, joy to those who only taste of despair, life to those who only see loss, flourishing for those who are longing for spring in a personal season of winter, restoration for the lost. 
is that you? Does that describe you? Well, the incredible news we receive that's for you is that Jesus has come for you. Jesus has come bringing love and care and life that we who were far off, he draws near like a father running towards a son to bring us back like a shepherd carrying a sheep. Won't you enter this joy? Let me pray for us. Brother, we are so grateful that you have put us in the places that we are. You've given us this church. You've given us the lives that we've had, the people that are an encouragement to us, the people in our life that are far from you. And and Father, we pray in this year that you might use us, all of us who are shaped by you, not just for the staff, but yes, for the staff too, not just for me, but yes, for me too, but all of us who have seen this good news, how might you use us to bring others who are far from you near? Let that be what we are committed to. Let that be what our focus is because it is the greatest joy of our lives that we have gone through the storyline. We were lost, we've been restored, and so we celebrate. And we want to see that in the lives of others as well. Let us be willing, let us be open to see and how we might be part of that storyline in others, how we might see you accomplish that in the lives of others, people who are lost, being restored, and we want to be part of that celebration. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for being a God who draws near to us, who were unable to do anything to earn your favor or affection, and yet you poured it out on us when we see how far we've gone before we can even truly uh, express any sort of repentance, you were putting robes on us, rings on our fingers, sandals on our feet, bringing us back to you. And because of that, we will spend our days rejoicing and celebrating you. We will direct our praise to you. We will be shaped by you. And so it's to you and you alone that we pray. Amen.